You're listening to New Life Washington Podcast. We pray this sermon encourages you and builds up your faith. It's our goal to help you live so that no one misses the grace of God. Enjoy the sermon. We are continuing the series today, and it's the final part of the series called The Generous Life. And what we've been talking about is generosity and how God wants us to live generous lives. He's a generous God, and he wants us to be generous as well. And we know that we so love our Father God because he gave, and he so loved us, he gave, that we get to give also, that we get to make that part of our DNA, part of who we are, because it's part of his DNA. And as his kids, we want to act like our Father in heaven. And if he's generous, we want to be generous too. But when it comes to any series like this that talks about money, that talks about generosity, um, instantly alarms go off for people, right? Kind of a red flag, kind of like, oh, preacher's talking about money, this isn't good, right? We kind of get into that mindset at times. And I want to, I want to talk about that one more time just a little bit because we have this phrase that we've coined for this series that says, God doesn't want something from you, he wants something for you. And I think for many of us, that phrase, as I begin to break it down for you, could help you with those alarms that you might be feeling, with those red flags that you might be feeling. Because the whole goal here is not to take something from you and for God to take something from you in this series, but it's for him to do something in you. It's for him to do something in your heart. So it's not us saying, hey, we want you to give more. We want you to, so that's why we're doing this series. No, we're doing this series because money is an important part of our lives. It's something that affects us. It's something that affects our marriages, our relationships. It's something that affects and causes stress in our lives. So if we're going to talk about any subject that affects marriages, that affects relationships, that affects your stress in your life, why wouldn't we talk about money? Why wouldn't we address it to help you in all those areas of your life? So the goal here is not to take something from you. The goal is to help you, to help your heart and to allow God to do a transformational work in your heart in regards to money so that moving forward, you can walk free from the addiction of money. Say, Jesse, I don't want to be free of that. I like money, okay? Don't, don't, don't make me get free of it. But what we need to be free of is the love of money right? The love of money. That, man, it's everything that our world is centered around, our life is centered around, that we need to break free of that and begin to move forward in freedom away from it so that we can live our lives maybe more stress-free without that controlling our relationships and our uh, marriages. And, uh, and I believe that's what God wants to do in us. And today we're going to finish this series by talking just a little bit more about generosity. But before I do, I was thinking this week about uh, Bible college. And in Bible college, I was a part of an internship in Dallas uh, at this great church, Grace Church. And it's the church that I ended up working at for 12 years of my life after this. And, um, and as we um, joined this church, one of the things in the very beginning that they did with us uh, is they one night told us to come to the church at 9, 9 p.m. And so we got ready, we went to the church, we didn't know what to expect. And we show up and they put blindfolds on us, okay? So instantly I'm like, did I just join a cult? Like what happened here, okay? Like what is happening here? There's blindfolds happening. Uh, they put us in a van and they tell us uh, we're going somewhere. We have the blindfolds on. This just sounded scary, right? Yeah, yeah, that's how we felt too. And, uh, and so we get in the van and we end up going to this place. They bring us out and we take the blindfolds off and we're in a graveyard, 
okay, I really joined a cult, okay? Like, this is what's happening here, right? This, this is what you think. And, uh, and so we're sitting there like, what in the world did we just get ourselves into? And, uh, and the, the leader of the group begins to talk to us about our lives and begins to talk to us about the little dash in the middle of those tombstones, right? And what it represents. And what it represents is people's lives, what they accomplish. That at the beginning of our lives, we have a date. And at the end of our lives, we have a date. And it's in between that tells the story of your life. And when you think about the story of your life, what do you want that story to tell? What do you want that story to tell about you? So the question that I have for you today is that very question. What do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? Because all of us have to come to terms with that and begin to plan our lives in such a way now so that at the end of our lives we could say, you know what, that very thing that I want to be known for that hopefully it's something biblical, right? Uh, that you begin to live your life in that direction. But I wanted to take it to a different level today because I believe that as a church, we should be asking that same very question. What do we, New Life Church, want to be known for? What is it that we want to be known for as a church? Because in the very same way, we need to begin living in such a way as a church so that we can fulfill this vision and this idea of where we're wanting to go. So do we want to be, you know, we, we could think about different churches in the world today. Do we want to be a political church where every bumper sticker is the same outside? I don't think so, right? I don't think that's the direction, you know, as I talk to people and as I talk to and hear the heartbeat of our church and the, the leadership, that I don't think that's the direction we're wanting to go, right? That we're just wanting to go all in and focus on that completely. Is it okay to be political? Is it okay to have your political? Yeah, all those things. But as a church, do we want to be that? No, we don't want to be known as the political church. Do we want to be known as the hip church, right? Ooh, that's the coolest church in town, right? Man, they've got uh, you know, a worship pastor that wears skinny jeans and has the coolest mustache of all time, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the, the pastor, you know, he has this jacket with ripped, rips in it, you know, I think he just flexed too hard one day and it just ripped or something. And, and you know, do we want to be known as the, the hip church? No, that's not the goal. It's not our goal to be cool. It's not our goal to be hip. It's not our goal to be political. It's not our goal to be any of these things. That's not the goal at the end of the day for us to say you're cool, you're political, fill in the blank. Our goal is to be a church that loves and a church that's generous. That if we are known by anything in this city, it would be known by, known by those things, right? That we are generous and that we are loving. That when there's a need that shows up, that we help to meet that need that we help to meet that need, that that is part of our DNA, it's part of who we are, it's part of who God has called us to be, that we are known for that. Not that we're flashy, not that we're cool, not that we're political, not that whatever the fill in the blank is, but that we are generous and we are loving and that is who we are. And I wanna thank you because that's already part of our DNA. It's already part of who God has made us as a church. And this very past Wednesday, we were able to drop off many of those gifts that you gave for the Christmas initiative that we were doing. 
And the Christmas initiative that we're doing called Christmas Multiplied is something that we did. And these are many of the gifts that you guys were able to bring, which represents gifts for 55 kids. This is at the children's home in Peoria. And we were able to help 55 kids in our community. This is some of the team that helped drop those off on that day. 55 kids in our community who were not going to be able to have Christmas gifts now have Christmas gifts because of your generosity, because of your love. And this is what I'm talking about. This is what we want to do. And beyond that, right? This is just the beginning of the story. Greater things are to come. Greater moments of generosity are to come. Greater moments of love are to come. Let's be this. Let's do this. Let's continue moving in that direction. Because when God looks at churches, we see it throughout Scripture, he is proud of churches that are generous. He's proud of them. We look in Revelation as we go through the the churches there, and there's churches there that he looks at and he says, wow, you're so generous. And he pats them on the back. And that phrase, well done, my good and faithful servant, he gives that to generous people and generous churches. And today we're going to discuss one of those generous churches. It's the church in Macedonia. And we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. And what's happening here is Paul is writing the church in Corinth. And ultimately what he's doing is he's trying to get the church in Corinth to be generous. And how he does it is he begins to tell them the story of what just happened in Macedonia. There's a generous church in Macedonia that shows great amounts of generosity. And Paul is trying to tell them about this church so that maybe they'll say, you know what, we want to be generous too. We want to be like that. So let's begin to read here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says this, it says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So let's stop right here. So what is the Macedonian church known for? They're known for generosity. They're known for generosity. They're not known for uh, the, the, the latest fad. They're not known for fill in the blank. They're known for their generosity. And God is proud of the church in Macedonia because of their generosity. But I want you to read here in the text in that last verse two that we saw that what are they dealing with in these moments? They're dealing with severe trial. They're dealing with some tough moments. Let me tell you, when life is good, it's easier to be generous, right? When finances are good, it's easier to be generous. But we have a church here where life is not very good for them right now. We have a church here who is experiencing poverty. We have a church here who is experiencing hardship. And even so, in the midst of that, they are generous. They are generous. It overflows out of their hearts. This idea of generosity, that is who they are. They're known as a generous church. And I love this word here, this phrase. It says they're overflowing joy. That even in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of poverty, they had an overflowing joy that resulted in generosity. Do we have that? Do we know Christ well enough? Are we so blessed by how he's been a blessing to us that we can't help but be joyful 
and be a blessing to others as well. That's what these guys are experiencing. Not only that, not only are they experiencing joy, but there's a humility here. They're not puffed up. They're not saying, look at us. We're an amazing, wealthy church, because they're not. Look at us, look at how cool we are, look at how good we are, look at how amazing we are. They're not saying any of those things. They are not puffed up, they are humble, and they are willing to give because of it. They're a humble church. Not only that, but they're an empathetic church. So Jesse, what do you mean by that? I mean they exhibit empathy for others. They show a great amount of empathy for others, and that is huge for us and something we need to talk about, and we will, but I want you to see here that generosity is something that is caught, not taught. So Jesse, what do you mean by that? Generosity is caught, not taught. Well, I could teach you generosity all day long, and nothing would happen. Okay, well, we taught about generosity for four weeks, but what needs to happen is generosity needs to be caught, not taught. It needs to go from our heads to our hearts. We can think about it without ever doing it. We can have the knowledge of generosity without ever living it out. And generosity is one of those things that needs to be caught, not taught. You can teach your kids generosity all day, but until they see you parents living it out, they're not going to be generous. You can use all the words, you can use all the language, you can use it all. They are never going to be generous unless you begin to live it out yourself. But the Macedonians, they had experienced God's grace and God's love and God's blessing in such a way that they caught it. They said, man, we are so blessed. We are so blessed. Why wouldn't we want to be a blessing to others? God has blessed us so richly. And, and I want you to have that same mindset. Guys, we're so blessed. Look at how God has taken care of us throughout our lives. Look at how he's met our needs. Look at how he showed up for us. Look at where we are today and how God has been a part of the story. Every step of the way, we should be grateful and out of that gratefulness should come this idea of generosity because we're so grateful, we're so joyful, we're so happy, we're so glad that God has been a blessing to us that we just can't help wanting to be a blessing to others. We've caught it because God has been a blessing to us. Not only that, but I think sometimes we catch generosity because we've experienced poverty. We've experienced hardship. We've been there before. We've been in those shoes and we don't want anybody else to experience what we experienced. And I know for me, that's one of the things that my wife is so dear to her, to be generous to others. And this Christmas season always reminds me of that because she's told me about seasons in her life as, as a young girl living in Houston, Texas, where they didn't have anything under the Christmas tree, where they didn't have a meal to eat on Christmas where they didn't know what was going to happen. And she said there were some Christmases just like that. Nothing happened. But there were some Christmases where people showed up. People from the church, they brought a meal. People from the church, they bought a few gifts and they showed up at our door and they circled around us and they prayed for us. And she says, I remember being a little girl looking at these people around me, praying for me. And I thought, man, one day I want to be just like that. I want to give to others. I want to make sure that nobody ever experiences this. 
I want to make sure that other people are taken care of. And she has a great amount of empathy for others because she's been there. And friends, if we want to be generous, we need to put ourselves in the shoes of others. We can't just look at things from our point of view, that we've always had enough, that we've always had more than enough, and and not think about anybody else. We need to put ourselves in the shoes of the person who doesn't have enough, and that'll help us to catch this idea of generosity. And that's exactly what the Macedonian church is doing. They are able to see another church dealing with hardship, And they're able to say, we've been there before, and because of that, we want to help. We've been there before, and because of that, we want to make a difference. So that is what God is calling us to, to to focus on his grace, to focus on his love, and remember how good he's been to us, and to think, because he's been good to me, man, I want to be good to others. Not only that, but to think about others who are broken and hurting and think, man, I don't want anybody to have to experience that. I want to do my part and I want to be generous. But one of the ideas that I think stops us at times from being generous is this idea that we have to be wealthy in order to be generous. Am I the only one that's ever had that thought? It says, man, one day I'm going to be generous. One day I'm going to reach the amount of money that I make a year that I can start being generous. And I'm telling you, that is a false idea. It's a false idea because that number is going to get keep getting pushed up and up and up. And suddenly you're going to reach a level in life where you haven't been generous your whole life because you were waiting for some magical number. You were waiting for this magical moment for you to begin to be generous. But you don't have to be wealthy to be generous. You don't have to be wealthy to be generous. Every single one of us in this room today can find a way to be generous, can become a generous person, can live their lives in a generous way way. Every single one of us, regardless of how much we make every year, regardless of whether we have a job or not, we can find ways to be generous. And this is what the Macedonian church knew in their hearts. Because in verse 3 here, it says, for I testify, talking about the Macedonian church, that they gave as much as they were able to. And even beyond their ability, they gave more than they could They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Let's stop right there because, man, I thought that was really good. Because I imagine the Macedonian church, I imagine Paul looking at them and saying, hey, guys, you guys are dealing with extreme poverty. You don't have to give. And them coming back and saying, what? Don't rob us of this blessing. We are going to give. We're going to give. We're going to be a part of this. They said, it says here, they urgently pleaded, please let us give. Please let us help. Please let us be a part. Don't rob me of the blessing of giving to someone else. I know we're having a hard time. I know we're in poverty. I know we're struggling, but we still want to be on the giving end of this thing. We still want to help. We still want to be a blessing because they knew they didn't need to be wealthy to be generous. You don't need to be wealthy to be generous. We can find creative ways to be generous. We can find interesting ways to be generous. And it says here that because they were generous, they exceeded our expectations and they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. As I thought about this, I looked as a whole at the scriptures and I thought, you know what? It's always the people who don't have a lot that are the most generous in Scripture. 
isn't it? If we look throughout scripture, there might be a few times where you see somebody wealthy who's generous. One of those, Zacchaeus, who we talked about, because he had a work, a work done in his heart, he becomes generous and he's one of the wealthy people. But other than that, there's more stories about people who aren't wealthy being generous than anything else. One of those stories Jesus is telling, and it comes from Mark chapter 12, and it says that Jesus sat down at a place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. First of all, interesting that Jesus is paying attention to what we're giving. Huh? He's paying attention. He's looking at what people are giving. He's paying attention. He cares about what we give. He cares about whether or not we give or not. But it says many rich people threw in large amounts, and Jesus wasn't impressed by that. He wasn't impressed by that. Who was he impressed by? It says a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And it says calling his disciples to him, it was almost like he was like celebrating, like he was like, man, look at this. This is incredible. Look at this woman who gave just a couple of cents. She says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. All these wealthy people, they're giving out of their wealth. The money they gave, it didn't mean nothing to them. But this woman, she gave sacrificially. This woman, those cents mattered to her. And that was a generous act. She, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. And Jesus says, wow, look at that. That's generosity. That's amazing. It didn't come from a wealthy woman. It came from a poor woman. But Jesus considered that woman generous. Are you generous? Are you a generous person? You say, Jesse, I'm not wealthy. You don't have to be wealthy to be generous. Are you generous? I think of the boy with the loaves and the fish. He's just a little boy. He's not wealthy. He doesn't have much going on for him. He's got a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. That's all he got. If it was me, I'd keep those for myself. I'm hungry, right? It's about that time to eat. But he is generous. He says, Jesus, I want you to use this however you see fit. And Jesus does a miracle because he's willing to give the little bit that he has. And God uses the little bit to do something very significant. Friends, God can use your little bit to do some amazing things. So what I'm trying to tell you is stop hiding and stop keeping your little bit because you don't think it's a big deal. We're holding back generosity at times because we think our little thing that we're trying to give somebody or trying to help somebody with is not significant. It's significant to God. He applauds your little bit. He applauds, as we see in this story, when we are willing to give. You don't have to be wealthy to be generous. God sees your little bit, and he loves it when you're willing to give that. Not only that, but as we continue, Paul, he wants the Corinthian church to get all these ideas that we've been talking about. He wants them to get that you don't need to be wealthy to be generous. He wants them to get that you can be a generous person who gives out of your poverty. He wants them to be generous. Paul wants the Corinthian church who he's writing to be generous. And he's trying to teach them in that. He's trying to get them to go in that direction. So in verse five, 
It says this, they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So this phrase, act of grace, comes up again and again. And let me tell you who can perform an act of grace in our heart. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can touch our hearts. Only Jesus can transform our hearts. So friends, if you are ever, 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 ever wanting to become generous the way that God intended, it's going to be because you surrender your life to Jesus. It's going to be because you lay down your life at his feet and you say, Jesus, I'm yours. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want me to become, whoever you want me to be, whatever you want me to do, Jesus, I'm yours. I am yours. We need to first give ourselves to the Lord if we are ever going to be generous the way that he's asking us to be generous. It's an idea that we talk about in here all the time because I never want us to do something by what I call white-knuckling it, just trying hard. Because you know what happens when we just try hard? We might be able to do it for a couple of days, but it never becomes a lifestyle for us. When we go to the feet of Jesus, we make it a lifestyle. We make it a part of who we are. We make it a part of our DNA. No longer is it white-knuckling it, but it comes naturally out of our hearts because Jesus has transformed our hearts, and that's what he's trying to do. But as this conversation continues with the Corinthian church, let me tell you real quick about the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church throughout 1st and 2nd Corinthians is getting beat up a little bit by Paul because what Paul recognizes is that the Corinthians church is very prideful. They think very much of themselves. They think they are so smart and so put together. Anybody ever met a Christian like that? Don't point at him, okay? Don't point at him. They think they're so smart and so put together and like everything is perfect in their lives and that they have no flaws whatsoever. And Paul's writing this letter to them and he's getting their attention. So I want you to hear this next verse in verse seven because what Paul's doing here is he's using sarcasm. Any sarcastic people in here? Yeah, a few. Paul is sarcastic and he's sarcastic in scripture at times. And the reason he's being sarcastic here is because he's, he's trying to be sarcastic in a way to wake the Corinthians up. He wants to wake them up. He wants them to see that, hey, you're prideful and you think you have it all together, but you're not willing to give a dime to people who are hurting. So listen to what he says here. He says, and, and let's read it in a sarcastic voice, okay? But since you excel in everything, that's what he's saying. Since you're so good at everything, Corinthian church, since you're so smart in faith and speech and knowledge in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, since you're so amazing and you excel in all of these things, see to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. So he's saying, oh, you guys are mighty. You guys are smart. You guys are amazing. Be amazing at giving. Be amazing at being generous. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking at you being better than others. We're not looking at you towering over people and thinking, man, I'm so much better than so-and-so because, man, I'm so, I'm so godly. No, I want to see your godliness through your giving. I want to see your godliness through the way that you give. 
and he's calling upon that. So it's important that we too, we lay down our pride. We lay down our egocentrism, our focus of ourselves, that just like the Corinthian church had, we have at times. It's hard for us to be self-centered and to be generous. It's not possible, guys. It's hard to be self-centered and to be generous at the same time. So what needs to happen is we need to lay down our pride and we need to listen to the words of Paul and say, if I'm going to be all that, I'm going to be all that in giving. I'm going to be all that in being generous. That's what counts. That's what matters. But I'm not commanding you by, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So he's saying here, he's saying, I'm not going to command that you give, but I want you to see what this church did. I want you to see what the Macedonian church did, and I hope that you'll follow suit. And you know what inspires me is that at times I look at people being generous, and that inspires me. Anybody ever been inspired by somebody else's giving? Anybody ever been inspired by somebody else's generosity, by somebody else's thoughtfulness? Well, what should happen in the church is that we should see those things as other people do them, and we should say, wow, I want to model myself after that. And that's just, that's what Paul's doing here. He's trying to get the Corinthians to see the level of faith and the level of love and generosity that the Macedonians uh, have, and he wants them to follow in that direction, to see the example and to follow in their footsteps, to be inspired by the generosity of others. But at the end of the story, verse 9, he says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was very rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And what he's saying, if none of what I told you has worked, follow the example of Jesus. If you haven't listened to anything that I've had to say about this Macedonian church, then listen to this. Jesus has been so generous to you. Jesus has been so good to you. And if you're a follower of him, be generous to others. It's part of our DNA as Christians. It's part of who we are to be inspired by the generosity of Christ. Let's be generous. Let's be a generous church, a generous people. Let's listen to these words of Paul trying to get another church to be generous and be generous ourselves. Let's live that out. So how can we begin to do that? Well, just a couple of thoughts. Number one is that we recognize that part of generosity is giving sacrificially. What does that mean? It means giving when it hurts. It means that there's times when we're going to be without so that somebody else can be with. There's times where we have to struggle a little bit so that we could help somebody else. And that's okay. That's what giving sacrificially looks like. And that's exactly what the Macedonian church did. If we're only giving when we have more than enough, is that really a sacrifice? Is that really a sacrifice? Second, we give by design. What do you mean, Jesse, we give by design? Well, last week we talked about making a plan for our finances and being thought out because we are stewards. We are people who God has given things to and he expects us to do well with those things. So why wouldn't we want to plan? Well, we can plan our giving. We can plan to say, you know what? I'm gonna set aside this amount of dollars so that I can give it to somebody throughout the year so that I can give it to somebody throughout the month, so that I can look for needs and I can give and I can meet those needs. 
I'm going to plan my giving. I'm going to plan by design my giving. We're going to plan it out. But not only that, I'm going to be a, a giver who gives spontaneously. It's not planned out, but there's a need that arises and I'm going to give spontaneously. I'm going to look for needs. I'm going to have my antennas up at all times. And even if it's not part of the plan, I'm going to give spontaneously because I am a giver. It's making it a part of your identity. I'm a giver. I'm a generous person. That's who I am. I'm a generous person. But the last one here is to give creatively. And it's fun. It's fun to give, and it's fun to give in creative ways that go beyond money. There's ways that you can give by babysitting for free. There's ways that you can give by giving of your time. There's people who need your time in this season. They're hurting, they're alone, and you having a cup of coffee with them would mean the world to them. It would mean everything. You're being generous when you do that. Be creative with your generosity. What are some ways that you can be generous with your time? What are some ways that you can be generous with the talents? There's talents that you've been skilled with, things that you're so, so good at, and there's people who need those skills in their lives for a certain project or a certain thing, and you can come alongside of them and use your talents to help those people and be generous with your talents. Not only that, you can be generous with your finances, as we've talked about this whole, whole time. But go beyond generous financial giving. Think about your time, your talent. Think about those ways as well. Because the kind of church we want to be is a generous church, a loving church. This is the way and the direction that we want to go. Not because we believe it's a good idea, but because as we look at the scriptures, we see that this is what gets God's attention. This is what he loves to see. This is what he gets excited about. And we want to be a church that God gets excited about. That he gets excited and pumped up when he thinks about New Life Washington because he knows we're going to be generous. So it gets his attention. But you know who else's attention it gets? It gets the world's attention. You say, Jesse, are we just giving so that we can get the world's attention? I don't think so. Don't, don't hear me say that. But what I want you to see is that giving generously, the byproduct of that is the world noticing. The world noticing. And what I mean by the world is I mean that there's a lot of people out there who don't have a relationship with God yet, who are going to see your generosity as a church, who are going to see your generosity as individuals, and they're going to say, wow, why would they do that? Why would they be so generous like that? Why would they? And they're going to see something different in you that is so appealing. And they're going to want it too. And it's going to wake them up in such a way that says, wow, that isn't a political church. That isn't a hip church. That's a church that really loves and cares for people. And I want to be a part of something like that. And it gets the attention of the world because there's people who are lost who want to be a part of something like this and they want more than that, right? They think they're coming for that, but what they're really coming for is a relationship with Jesus, an opportunity to hear about the gospel and how Jesus died for their sins and rose again so that they could have life. But it all starts with generosity. It all starts with being a generous people, generous individuals, people who live the generous life. So let's be that kind of people. Thanks for listening. For more information about New Life Washington, check out our website at newlifeonline.org. God bless.